0: Our text this morning is Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through the first part of 6. It reads, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here. And I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone, and a sawed us in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and upon the thrones... I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Out from the throne comes flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. Heavenly Father, we invite you. May your Spirit move among us. Speak to our hearts, O God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Talking about the throne. What is a throne? Throne is a seat of power, the highest place of authority in any given realm. It's the place where which a ruler reigns, acts on behalf of his people. He exercises justice. Unlike earthly monarchs who are bound by time and territory, God's throne represents His transcendent. Transcendent reign over the whole universe for all eternity. Because God is in spirit form, not in bodily form, he does not require rest. He has no need to sit upon an ordinate ceremonial chair. The throne of God is the literal and figurative symbol of his all-consuming glory and infinite sovereignty. As we think about the throne of God this morning, we must remind ourselves as believers that we should give God the same place in our hearts that he holds in the universe. We must give God the place of highest honor in our hearts. We must place God first in our lives, and we must offer God the very best that we have. Is God sovereign in your heart this morning? Is He the sovereign ruler of your life? Back in chapter one, we saw the exalted Christ nurturing and protecting His church. In chapters two and three, we read the letters addressed to the seven churches. And these churches had characteristics that belong to various churches in every generation. Now the scene shifts from the church on earth to the church in heaven. Chapter 4 opens the throne room of heaven to our eyes and ears. We get to observe the worship of Almighty God. God is on his throne and his endless praise has begun. We hear the call to acknowledge his power and dominion. The invitation from heaven, verse 1. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open. Now the reference to the things that come after are reference to the things of the churches that we saw back in chapters 2 and 3. This is indicating a shift or the initiation of a new phase of the book. It casts the vision to the things that will take place after the church era. A door standing open. That is translated from a perfect passive participle in Greek. With that said, you can translate it this way: There was a door having been open. John did not see the door being open. He simply observed a door that had been opened. And the reference to heaven here is not to the earth's atmosphere or to the stars, but to a place that is beyond man's natural eyes or telescopes. It's where the presence of God presently resides. The door open that he sees literally leads into the very presence of God himself. Can I just remind you for a second that when we come to worship, as we do this morning, as we go to prayer, we go right into that throne room. The book of Hebrews tells us we can do it with confidence because of the shed blood of the Lamb. It tells us let's go boldly, confidently for the throne of grace that we might find help in time of need. We must remind ourselves, even in this place now, we are in the very presence of God in his throne room that he invites us into to talk to him. And listen to him. Look what it says in verse 1. After he sees the door open, John hears this voice. Come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. It's indicating a future that has not had happened. There is prophecies not yet unfolded. What will occur now is the events of the present age. And many understand this invitation as symbolizing the rapture of the church because the scene suddenly changes, no longer on earth but in heaven, this come up here. The true church is gone, they will say. Only apostate church remains. The word church does disappear after the third chapter. Some see this as a symbolic fulfillment of First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. Which says, "For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we should always be with the Lord. They see this, where he says, come up here as a symbolic fulfillment of that passage I just read. Now, some may agree, but take a more cautious approach. Although the invitation we see here is similar to what the church anticipates, there is no explicit reference to the rapture of the church. They will say perhaps a rapture has already occurred before chapter 4. And once again, they point to the fact the word church, ecclesia, that is so prominent in chapters 2 and 3 does not occur until chapter 22, verse 16. Now, I'm not going to tell you I do not believe in the rapture of the church. That's not the case. My point being, there is no evidence in this one verse alone to support the rapture of a church. You don't see it because no reference is made. There's no evidence for it. I believe the point of this whole verse is to show us that John is taken into the presence of the heavenly throne room so he can be prepared for the unfolding of the events that will transpire on the earth during the great tribulation. And I know I just opened a whole can of worms with talking about the rapture of the church. I want you to go back and read not just this verse, but go back and read the entire book. Like I said, I don't see any evidence in this one verse alone because there's no explicit reference to the church. John is being invited to come, and when he goes up there, he sees God on his throne, verses 2 and 3. He tells us that immediately I was in in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven. This is a state of spiritual exaltation, similar to the first that we saw back in chapter 1, verse 10. Not only did he have eyes to hear and eyes to see, he was experientially taken into heaven, although his body was still on the Isle of Patmos. And the first object that startled him and caught his eyes was the throne. Of course, the throne symbolizes power and rule of a sovereign ruler. However, this throne that he sees in heaven is a throne that is over all other thrones. Look back in verse 2. What else grabs his attention? Not only does he see that throne, but he sees and one sitting on the throne. Notice no longer he just sees the throne. And no, as he sees the throne, he doesn't describe the throne. He immediately talks about the one sitting on the throne. See, human language that now starts to fail. Look what he says about the one sitting on the throne. He who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardus in appearance. There is no attempt to explain who's sitting on the throne in terms of a man. The human language fails at this point because God is beyond, beyond human description as well as human understanding. The enthroned majesty is described in terms of brilliance and radiance. This light has the appearance of two precious stones, jasper, a clear rock crystal in contrast to the opaque jasper stones of the day it seems to have resembled a diamond now i turn your attention to revelation chapter 21 verses 10 and 11 talk about an angel showed me the holy city jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god having the glory of god listen to this her brilliance was like a very costly stone a stone of crystal clear jasper now, the sardis in some translations will be translated Canadian as a ruby or fiery red color. And it's interesting to note, these two stones were the first and the last gemstone that was on the breastplate, breast piece of the high priest. So you can see that in Exodus chapter 28, verses 17 through 20. And that breastplate that the high priest would put on had the 12 stones of Israel on it, and the first stone was Jasper and the last stone was Sardust? Interesting. And also, they will be found in the foundation of New Jerusalem, chapter twenty-nine, verses nineteen and twenty. So, picture out in your mind: you have a crystal clear, like a diamond, and you have this dark red color shining brightly from the throne. So brightly, he probably can't even see the outline of who's sitting on the throne. Imagine that in your mind. Then he tells us in verse 3 there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. The overwhelming fiery glistening of the throne is enhanced by a rainbow resembling an emerald encircling the throne, possibly like a solar or a lunar halo. There's a pic of a solar halo coming up on the screen. See the halo around you've seen this outside, I'm sure. That's what I believe John is describing. So you have God would be in the center where you see the sun. Now, we can't look directly at the sun, can we? We see the light from the sun. We can't make the outline of the sun. And then around the sun, you have the halo. Now, imagine God for a second. He's sitting on his throne, and it's so bright and so brilliant. These two stones this crystal clear like a diamond, this ruby red, shining brightly, and this emerald around the throne. Now, I look for pictures of this, but pictures are limited. I want you to picture that in your mind. Can you see it? Sitting there in all its brilliance and wonder? Now here's something as I prepared. that. Remember when God made a rainbow back in Genesis chapter 19 verses 13 and 16 after the flood to show his covenant? He uses a rainbow. Is it possible that he took something from his throne to use it as a sign of his covenant reminder to those that inhabit the earth that He keeps his promises and covenants. You ever thought about that? The green color of the emerald adds further beauty to the scene. And this circle of this emerald green would highlight the inner throne. Keep his radiance from overwhelming the scene and the people outside of it. It also may represent the mercy which tempers the revelation of divine majesty. Dearly beloved, the human language fails at this point to really describe what John saw here. He's trying to describe God upon his throne. An almost impossible task. I want you to think in your mind, what would that look like? He gives us the descriptions here. Bright. And as he looks at that, he sees that, he talks about the 24 enthroned elders... Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders. They are reminiscent of Isaiah chapter twenty-four, verse twenty-three, where the elders are viewed as Jewish leaders. This is often interpreted as representation of Israel and the church, the twelve patriarchs and the twelve apostles. Now, in 1 Chronicles 24-4, we read about the twenty-four priestly orders, and in 1 Chronicles 25-1, we read about twenty-four orders of Levites that are appointed to prophesy and praise with harps and cymbals. These are all how people try to interpret these elders that John sees. However, we'll see later in Revelation 5, 8, the elders present the prayers of God's people, and in our text from verse 6 on to 11, they're a link with the four living creatures. I would argue they're best understood as exalted angelic beings, worshiping and serving the Creator. Get a little ahead of myself. If you read further into the chapter, they worship God. You know what they do? Look at the text. You read down the text. They fall down prostrate, laying down. They throw their crowns at the feet of God, saying this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they say this over and over and over and over and over again. Can you see it? He tells us that these elders are clothed in white garments or robes with golden crowns on their head. The white represents purity and holiness. The crowns are like diadems in the fact they are made of gold. Now you can go on to read other things about that, but here you have the 24 elders constantly falling down. Thus I forget we're getting a little peek at worship in heaven what it looks like, what's being said. Not to be critical, but they're not sitting on padded pews. They're falling prostrate before the Lord God Almighty, throwing their crowns before Him, crying out, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Then you see the seven spirits of God. Now, verse 5, does not mention them, but we must look at verse 5 because this... I looked for a video or something but I couldn't really find anything. I, I want you to use your mind, just picture this, that you see this throne, you see these this light and this emerald around it, and then out of the throne comes flashes of lightning, sounds, not necessarily thunder, but sounds and peels of thunder. Now, I had to look up the word peel. Perhaps you know what it means. I didn't. I had to look it up. You know what it means? It means like a rolling thunder. When you have a real bad thunderstorm, it just seems to go from one end to the other, that constant big clash of thunder. That's what's going on. Can you see, can you see that? Can you hear it? The impressive scene of heaven is enhanced by lightning and rumblings and resounding thunder. The most impressive laser light or firework show skilled technicians Whoever they can devise pales in comparison of what's happening here in the throne room of heaven. Thunder is mentioned seven times in Revelation. Chapter 4, verse 5. Chapter 6, verse 1. Chapter 8, verse 5. Chapter 11, verse 19. Chapter 14, verse 2. Chapter 16, verse 18. And chapter 19, verse 16. If you missed all that, it's on the outline. I can give it to you. But thunder represents the divine power and glory of God. Once again, pitch out your mind. You see this throne. You can't make it his own throne. It's so bright. It has this clear, it's almost like a diamond and this red coming out of it. And around it you have this emerald circle shining so brightly. And coming from the throne itself you see flashes of lightning and you hear the thunder. Reminds me of the overwhelming sights that the people saw at the foot of Mount Sinai back in Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. They were scared. What would you do? God is here. Okay, God is here. But if he was to physically manifest his presence... I wouldn't be standing up here. i will be falling prostrate on that floor, trembling before the Lord God Almighty as you see that scene come to life. It's like the prophet Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up in the train of his robe, filled the temple, and when he spoke, the very threshold shook and filled with smoke. And Isaiah, God didn't have to say a word, Isaiah looked at him and he saw, Oh, I'm a man of unclean lips living among people who are unclean. Isaiah knew exactly who he was in comparison to God. And when God truly shows up and speaks to your heart, he doesn't have to say a word. You realize, oh God, you are holy and I am a sinner. It reminds me of that story when the two people were praying on the side of the street, a Pharisee or a Sadducee was standing. I'm glad I'm not like these sinners, oh God. And it looks down beside him. I can't even lift my eyes to you, God. You are so holy. Who did Jesus say? The prayer was heard. The one man who was humble with humility. Hmm. Then he says in verse 5, There were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. They are best understood as representing the sevenfold ministry or character of the Holy Spirit rather than seven individual spirits. You also see that mentioned back in chapter 1 as well. Can you see it? God the Father is seated on the throne. The Holy Spirit represented by the seven lamps of fire. And the stage is being set. Later we will see Christ himself presented as the Lamb slain. Who alone is worthy to snatch a book out of the one who sits on the throne, out of his right hand. I'm getting ahead of myself. In fact, John begins to cry, who is worthy? And he sees Christ as a lamb slain. Come and get that book of the seven seals. <laughs> he talks in the first part of six, before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. Once again... Language fails to give an adequate description. Now is not giving exact descriptions, rather, he's speaking with the symbols available to him. It's not a sea of glass, only something that looked like glass. See that Greek word that translated sea could be like a sea we have here on earth, but I also could speak of a celestial sea, the sea of the stars in space. In other words, it's telling us there was a great distance between God and John. This great sea. And yet the light was so bright and brilliant. Couldn't really make out. (laughs) Even if he could, he couldn't describe it. God is indescribable. He's beyond our understanding, our comprehension. And yet... He communicates with us in language we can understand. That transparency may also emphasize God's all seeing, all knowing vision, indicating that there's nothing that hinders his view of the universe which he has created. What a description of heaven we are given in this text. Before the throne of God is a brilliant transparency separating all beings except for some orders of angels from the beauty, the splendor, the brilliance, and glory of God. From the throne comes flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. Oh, the magnificence and holiness of our God and all these honors and dignities God has invited us to behold. We can see it one day with our own eyes. And here's something else. Think about this. If you're a believer, the blood of Christ covers your sins. And in the description that we read here in Revelation, we can look him in the eye because we'll be holy. Saints, we talked about that not long ago, holy ones because of what Christ Well, I don't know what struggles or fears you're facing right now, but I want to tell you, take heart. Because there is an unchangeable sovereign who reigns from a universal throne. Though it may seem like the forces of darkness are in charge, nothing could be further from the truth. Because God is on his throne and he never forgets his own. Imagine that, the God the Sovereign One, the Great I Am, Everlasting Creator, Redeemer. He knows your name. And He loves you so intimately and so perfectly that He wants to have a relationship with you. Of everything in the universe, He wants a relationship with each one of you. (laughs) Words fail me. All I can say is amazing grace. The real question we should be asking ourselves this morning are you His? Do you belong to Him or are you your own man or woman? Who's in charge of your life? Who do you serve? Jesus says you cannot serve two masters, you cannot serve God in yourself. You cannot serve God in the world. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, in this instance, he's talking about money. But he says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. You cannot have one one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. It does not work. To use a movie analogy... An old movie back in the 80s, The Karate Kid. He tells his student, you can walk to the right side of the road, you're okay. You walk to the left side of the road, you're okay. Walk down the middle of the road, squish just like grape. And brothers and sisters, that's what's happening to a lot of Christians in this country. They're trying to walk down the middle of the road, and it does not work. Either you're his or you're not. So in light of what we read about this morning, this throne room of God in heaven, that all of us are invited to be there with him. Not one person is not uninvited. He's made the way for every man, woman, and child on this planet who has ever lived and is living, could be with him one day in heaven. And that's through a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, his son, the Messiah, who has made the way possible for all of us. So who will you serve? Choose this day Here you will serve, to use an old charge back in the Old Testament by a guy named Joshua. Charging the people of Israel on his farewell address as he was stepping down. He says, if this is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, talking about the gods of Egypt, or the gods of the Amorites, whose land you are living But as for me, in my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's what it comes down to. It's wonderful to read the book of Revelation, to get a small taste of what awaits us. But the Christian life is not somewhere in the future. It's the here and now. Many of us are chasing what the world promises but can never deliver. Oh sure, it will take away the pain and everything for a while, but it never addresses the true problem. Should we have laws? Of course we should have laws. Against stealing, murder, we should have those laws. But here's where the law fails. The law can never change the human heart. Only God can do that. And that is the problem. The problem is the human heart. It is sin. And there's only one answer for it. It can be found in the person and work of Christ. Do you know him? Can you imagine brother being in that throne and seeing that? Can you imagine it, sister? Can you see it? The invitation is come. Come as you are. Confess our sin. Simply agree with God what it is he already knows you're not going to tell him anything he doesn't know do you think God really says something well I didn't know that no he knows it already and he's inviting you to come perhaps you've done that maybe there's something going on in your life that's, that's causing that distance between you and God it, you just don't feel close to him he wants to have that back that fellowship he's calling you back even now Talk to him. Tell him. He already knows. But he's such a loving, merciful God that he's waiting for you. Perhaps he's calling you to join this body here. To be a part of this body called Forest River Baptist Church. Or perhaps he's calling you to go across somewhere and pray for a brother or sister. You do whatever God is leading you to do in this moment. I can tell you, I can ask you questions, but I don't know your heart. Only God has that information. But I do know one thing. He loves you more deeply than I can possibly describe to you. He's so gracious and forgiving. And humble, the only thing stopping you is you. And as I said last week, I'm gonna end with this phrase, quit listening to the voice of the enemy. He wants to destroy you. He wants to take everything from you and laugh at you. He wants you to live that same boring, dull life that's robbed of meaning and purpose. Don't listen to him anymore. Listen to the voice of truth that says, I love you. I've created you for a reason and a purpose. You are to have a relationship with me. Listen to that voice. I will let you down. I'm a human being, I'm flawed. But God will never let you down. Great is his faithfulness. Heavenly Father. We thank you for your word. We thank you for being just who you are. It's hard to us to imagine what it will really be like in heaven. And this description that we read about in your word just gives us a glimpse Father, I pray that in this moment you will let everyone know within the sound of my voice that they are all invited to come to be where you are. You've made the way possible that we can be with you all eternity. Your only son paid the price. Salvation is a gift from your right hand. All we have to do is take it. Father, humble us this morning. Break us of our pride. And continue to bound the evil one away from this place. He has no business here. Continue to speak to the heart of your people. May we not just hear your voice. May we listen to it and be obedient to it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me, please?